how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Colin and Samir Show. And on this episode, it's just me, just Samir. But we're joined by a very special guest who's been on the show, uh, and you'll hear about him at the top of the episode. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about the latest with Twitter some of the new policy that Elon Musk has put into place and then reversed, and also what that means for creators. We also answer a question from the subreddit about how to pitch yourself to brand partners. All right, I'm doing this intro solo, so I really don't have much else to say. Let's just get into it. Here we go. Wait a second, you're not Colin. What? I'm not? <laughs> you're not Colin, but you are the second most reoccurring person on this podcast, I think now. What an honor. Yeah. What an honor. I'm no longer a cameo. I'm like a, I'm like a guest spot, you know? Yeah. Now you're yeah. like a uh, expert, expert yeah. who comes on to talk about Twitter. A panelist. <laughs> a panelist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you guys are unfamiliar, welcome to the show, Evan Lozado. Evan, Thank you. Thank you. How do you describe yourself? I've tried every single time. So I'm a panelist on the Colin and Spear podcast <laughs> is typically how I describe myself. Uh, but, uh, right now I'm serving just on the board of directors of an organization, uh, called organization for social media safety, but I've previously run a couple companies, including, um, socialite, which is an influencer marketing business, uh, both representing uh, talent and brands in the influencer marketing space. Uh, I ran a, a magazine called nylon, um, which some of you may know, uh, and then I also worked at some of the platforms at Facebook, Snapchat, and as we talked about last time, had a very short stint at Twitter before I decided to make the change and, and move over to Snapchat. So uh, I've got some experience on, mm -hmm. on both sides of the, the, on the platform side and on the publisher creator side. You missed something. What did I miss? I you, said I'm a panelist on, what did I miss? We were in a band together. We were in a band together. <laughs> we yeah. were former yeah, yeah, creative yeah. collaborators and, I, and yeah. we directed some short films together. That's right. I buried the lead. Yeah. I buried the <laughs> <Yeah>. lead. <laughs> Speaking of buried, those short films are yeah. very much buried. Yeah. And, those uh, are buried. Yeah. Those no are, one can those find are, those. Don't try. <laughs> don't try. Um, all right. So we have you on the show today uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because we want to dig into what has happened since we last spoke, especially as it pertains to Twitter. Yeah. Um, Last time we recorded, I thought that was going to be the last time we recorded about Twitter, but you know, to, to maybe no surprise, it's been one of the most interesting stories of like internet media distribution yeah. uh, of the year. Second reason is because Colin just got engaged Woo! and he's out in New Jersey uh, celebrating with his family. So I want to give him some time to, you know, do his thing and, yeah. and slot in a new uh, co-host here today. Well, yeah. I'm honored, honored yeah. to fill in for, for Colin here. Congratulations to Colin. By I know. The way. That's Big incredible. Congrats. That was yeah. a very fun, fun experience to, yeah. to, to help with that. Um, and congratulations, Colin. All right. Let's dive in. Let's so in terms of what has happened since we last spoke, probably the main thing that we've witnessed was the Twitter files, yeah. which essentially is Elon Musk, you know, opening the doors to some of the previous emails that were sent and, and interactions uh, between employees of Twitter as well as like government officials and just kind of bringing to life how certain policies were created. Yeah. Um, and then as recently as this week, you know, Elon tweeted out a poll asking if he should continue running Twitter or if he should step down, which is really interesting because it ties together that concept of like how policy is created. But yeah. I want to bring that up to just give a marker of time. We're recording this Monday yeah. Which is December 19th at 2 p.m. So if anything happens after this, it's not going to be included in this episode. But we'll try and get, we're going all the way up till he put out a poll. Yeah. That's our timestamp. God knows what's going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and additionally, he's also been very forward about, you know, trying to make the platform more creator focused. But mm. some of his policies just don't reflect that. 
Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So a bit, bit of a mix today of, of what we're going to talk about. But first, let's bring you up to speed of what has happened since we last spoke. What are the Twitter files exactly and what did they reveal? Yeah, so I, the Twitter files uh, story is really um, interesting on a lot of levels. So um, this seems to be one of the few things that Elon um, had planned to do from uh, the very early stages of his bid uh, to take over Twitter, which is to release all of the documents, emails um, uh, related to the decision-making around a few really important moments in Twitter's history around the 2020 election, which are the Hunter Biden laptop story that New York Post um, released that was uh, removed and then um, uh, reduced the uh, distribution of, and then um, obviously the removal of Donald Trump uh, from the platform. So I think it's really fascinating because we we never we we we've obviously seen the results of those decisions, but we never understood sort of how the sausage was made, why uh, and how those decisions were made, who was in the room making those decisions, um, what policies were being referenced when those decisions um, uh, when when those decisions were actioned, um, and so the Twitter files really release all of that information to the public and have opened up a public discussion as to. What is social media's role in regulating speech online, in protecting regular people from information that may be false or may be true? Um, and what is our role in also, uh, not our role, I don't work at Twitter, but I, I used to, uh, what is the social media's role uh, as it relates to public figures um, and, yeah. and their distribution on a platform? Um, and you know, I think it's really interesting because this does feel like a monumental moment. Facebook's never done this. YouTube's never done this. Um, transparency is something we should celebrate in general, right? And mm -hmm. I, I don't see much other than, you know, on the right, celebration of of these files. I think there's a lot on the left of uh, calling this, a, uh, I think, a nothing burger is the thing that keeps going around by, you know, more mm. people on the left, journalists, things like that. Not covering it, um, I think, is is unfortunate because I, you know, despite what you may think of Elon Musk and whether you agree or disagree with the decisions that were made around Trump and, and the story of Hunter Biden's laptop, this should be celebrated. We should know how these decisions are made. We should be able to weigh in on them, um, and they should be ac accountable because of the power of social media to the public interest and in, in what we think should be spread or not spread and. Um, so from that standpoint, I think it's, it's been a really good thing. It's kind of been overshadowed by a lot of other things that yeah, Elon sure, has done sure. in the few, last few days. So, yeah. um, you know, I think he hasn't done any, himself any favors on that. Have there been any, uh, first of all, I'm interested in your, what you just said about like, that's how it, it should be. Yeah. Uh, like we should have more transparency, transparency into this. We should have more. Um, and it seems like that is just in, given the context of how powerful social media is and how much it can sway ideology and action. Yeah. Because we don't expect other businesses to give us that level of transparency. True. Into their decisions, right? Yeah. Not at all. Like food companies, like they change their ingredients. Maybe they, they give that to us, but we don't really hear, like it's in their best interest to lack transparency. Absolutely. Actually, it's in most companies' best interest yeah. to lack transparency. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting to think about that, but you're like, you're saying we've never had it from any other company. Yeah. Now, when it comes specifically, like why this was so, the Twitter files themselves were so interesting. The most interesting to me was when they showed the back end of all the accounts with the tags that they had. Yeah. So they showed accounts and they put tags like do not amplify or, mm. you know, uh, limited amplification, stuff like that. And essentially a lot of people on social media they speculate that they've been shadow banned, right? Which means yeah. like, I'm not showing up in the algorithm anymore. And that was a manual thing that happened because Twitter doesn't like me or something like that. Right. And the speculation was like, could never be confirmed. Right. But yeah. it was for the first time with these screenshots. Yeah. Right. That Twitter was able to go manually and say, don't amplify this account, uh, limit this account, do this to this account and essentially manually go in and make decisions. And then some of the emails that surfaced also showed the conversation around that. Yeah, um, totally. And that's what was the most interesting to me. I mean, I think my assumption always was that was happening. There was no assumption from me that that wasn't happening. Yeah. But I think people underestimate the manual nature of social media platforms. Right. Yeah. 
there is a real person yeah. clicking a button that's making the decision that's changing distribution on the algorithm. Oftentimes, there's also a lot of automatic stuff, right? Yeah, so of course. If you get reported for abuse or spam or hate speech um, a whole bunch of times, I think the algorithm looks at those signals and decides what what to distribute. So, mm-hmm. you know, in in some ways, it's it's a lose lose because you put out tools that help people, you know, determine what they want to see and what they don't want to see. Those tools can then be abused to effectively shadow ban people who are spreading information that you may disagree with, right? Um, And And then that comes down to like the subjectivity of who's running the platforms. Exactly. Right? And what what they feel is, you know, but it's also a business and a brand. Like I think about this in the context of YouTube a lot. When a lot of young creators talk to us about, you know, the type of content they're making or it not showing up in the algorithm or, you know, this or that, you look at what is being surfaced on YouTube at scale. Yeah. Especially after YouTube's been through adpocalypse where advertisers didn't want to advertise because they felt like it wasn't brand safe. Right. So the Mr. Beasts of the world, the Mark Robers of the world, Casey Neistat, this type of content is celebrated on YouTube. The Nelk Boys, David Dobrik, Danny Duncan. Mm -hmm. This type of content is not a part of YouTube's conversation. They don't want it a part of YouTube's conversation. Right. It's a big part of YouTube, but it's not a part of what YouTube wants YouTube to be. Right. Now, they're not going to limit you from uploading. They, they will limit it if it breaks the rules that they've yeah. set. But it's not in their best interest to have that on the trending tab. True. Right? Yeah. Because and they're ultimately marketing to advertisers. Exactly. Right. You have to understand the incentives of these platforms. Right? The incentives are, we need to be a healthy place for advertising. Yeah. Create a fertile ground for right. them to spend their money here. Twitter is now somewhat of the exception Mm -hmm. because Musk is kind of playing this game where maybe advertising is not as important to him right now on Twitter. Right. Trying to find other ways to monetize. Like, and so that, that transparency, do you think that supports, like, what does that support now that he's done that? Cause it, to me, it just feels like everyone who thought that was happening, it was confirmed to them that Twitter was, did have a manual, you know, component of saying, we like this person, we don't like this person. Or we, or this yeah. this is in line with what our platform's all about, this one isn't. Or this is dangerous and this is not. And they were actually making those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of competing <clears throat> interests when you're running a social media platform like this. And obviously for a business, first and foremost is, you know, revenue. And so the advertising component of this can't be understated. Elon Musk is a complete wild card because it's it's kind of unclear how much he even cares about money, right? The guy doesn't yeah, even have a true. house. Like, true. Do we do we know if he cares if if revenue goes down fifty percent? Do we know we, if he cares if Twitter goes away? That's a great question because there's some speculation now, especially with that recent poll, which I know we'll get to, that this may be moving towards a bankruptcy, which. Um, you know, there's been some reports that they haven't been paying their rent bills. Um, really? And it's not, I don't think that they have enough money to. Um, it's a question as to whether they're trying to get out of the lease. And one of the best ways to get out of leases is to go through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy um, and get out of certain contracts mm. uh, that you may not want to be a part of. And there may be some minimal tax benefits to, to Elon doing that. Um but it, that that's not really here nor there. I think what's interesting is this seems to be the one thing, like this was the reason Elon bought Twitter, right? He disagreed with the way Twitter handled the New York Post story. He disagreed with Donald Trump being banned. He disagreed with a lot of people on the right being shadow banned or kicked off Twitter. And that's what he came in to rectify. He did that. He, you know, got reporters to go through all these files. He, you know, obviously organized internally to pull all these files. And it was clearly a big internal effort. Everything else he's done has seemed very knee-jerk reaction and just like spur of the moment impulsive decision making. So now that he's done this thing that he's set out to do, it's kind of unclear what he wants to do with the platform. Not that this thing wasn't, you know, um, really important or valuable to him. I think that I think it was um, Alexis Ohanian, who is the CEO and founder of of Reddit. Yeah, um, he likened running a social media site 
to being less of a CEO role and more of a head of state role. And I don't think Elon totally knew that that's what he was stepping into. You have so many competing uh, almost constituencies mm-hmm. that you're dealing with. You're dealing with creators. You're dealing with users. You're you know dealing with internal management and policy. You're also dealing with advertisers. And um, it's just a, a role unlike any other. And I, you know, Elon Musk is is obviously a very very successful CEO. He's never been a politician. He's never been a head of state. And that might be a better in the future, um, you know, someday, 10 years, 20 years down the road, that might be a better qualification for somebody to run a social media platform than a CEO. Wow. That's really interesting. Have you ever heard the CEO of TikTok talk about TikTok? Uh, I can't say that I've heard much of of the uh, CEO of TikTok being public facing. Why? There's one amazing uh, interview with him. Mm. And he's sitting and there's a, like an American reporter asking him questions. And he says, running TikTok is like running a nation state. And he says, he talks about when TikTok hit the US. So he says, when you're establishing a new nation state, you need to um, amplify and showcase what a model citizen looks like. Hmm. And so he says, we distribute wealth to what we refer to as our model citizens. Yeah. And then everyone follows. Basically, the reporter like has no words because he's basically talking about how he hand selected like Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Rae. And he was just like, let me find who I think are the right model citizens and just amplify them to the top because they become, they create aspiration. Yeah. So let me create what aspiration looks like and then everyone will follow. Yeah. It's like the most blunt description of how, you know, like everyone was like, how are these people getting so popular? How are these people getting so popular? And he's like, oh, it's pretty manual. Yeah. Like we made that decision. Selecting them. Yeah. Yeah. We, we made those decisions of who should get popular on yeah, the platform. That's fascinating. And that's really fascinating, right? Because, because again, we all kind of look at social as creators and we think about it in context of like how much control we have over it. And we do, but we have to play really nice with what they want, with what the platform's incentives are. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah. And I think this experience with Elon is really showing you that like you are in a partnership with a platform. Mm-hmm. when you're creating, like yeah. you are in that partnership. Like, I'm curious when you were at any of these platforms, when you just described, like you're dealing with all these con- constituencies, constituency, constituency, constinch, const- how can I not say <laughs> Let's this Let's sound word? it out together. No, On situencies. So when you're dealing with all these, cons- cons- I can't do it in a sentence. <laughs> this is unbelievable. When you're dealing with these groups, there I'll say, is. yeah, yeah. These, <laughs> these groups, who was at the top of that list for you guys? Um, well, you know, it's, uh, that's a really good question. I think ultimately it always comes down to the user, right? The, the mass population of users, Got because it. ultimately that's what the whole health of the platform depends on. Yeah. Advertisers are trying to reach them. If you lose them, if they're not engaged, if you lose the scale that you have, you lose the value in the platform. But every decision that's made is, you know, you're com- those things are competing with one another, right? And mm-hmm. ultimately, that's why so many of these decisions get bubbled up to a CEO who has to make the ultimate executive decision, right? Um, and so, I, yeah, but I think at the end of the day, typically product and, um, and the community wins out. Yeah, I think users win because actually the priority is the advertiser. And you need the users to, for the advertiser. Yes. So that's why users are number one. Yeah. Right. And it changes too, right? Like um, I was at Snapchat before we really started doing any monetization. And at the time, you know, I think that it was clear. It was all about grow, grow, grow as fast as we can and keep um, uh, engagement as high as we possibly can. We'll figure out the monetization later. Those things change over time, especially when you become a public company, yeah. um, and uh, you know you have different sort mm-hmm. of metrics that you're that you're trying to leverage. But so now, when it comes to policy, yeah. most platforms have been very political when it comes to their policy. Right? They take a long time to figure out a policy if they're going to do it. Um, they move with like they put out a release, or Adam Masseri comes on Instagram and does a long chat about right. what they're doing, right? Or yeah. Susan Wojcicki releases a blog post and there's some 
There's a formality to new policy. Yeah. What Elon has done is like <laughs> the opposite, right? <laughs> he's, he's like tweeted out things and asked questions of like, I mean, the first one that was, I think we talked about last time you were on was, should I unban President Trump? Yeah. People voted on that and uh, people said, yes, you should, you should remove, lift the ban. And he did that. Yeah. And he, he, it was like a crazy amount of votes uh, right. in, in the tens of millions. Um, the most recent poll he did was about if he should step down as CEO, also in, in the tens of millions. I think 15 million people voted on that. Um, let me look at Which it. has never been done before, by the way. I that's mean, never been done before. It's just wild. Yeah, and there's parts of it that I like. So 17 million votes, over 17 million votes. Should I step down as the head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. 57.5% say yes, 42% say no. Yeah. So that's a yes, right? Yeah. If I'm adding up correctly. If, yeah, if I know my <laughs> constituencies. Yeah. Is that, did I say it right or no? Yeah, yeah okay. Close enough. Uh, close enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so my assumption here is that he already knew he was, I mean, he, he had every intention of stepping down. Yeah. Like the guy runs two other companies that desperately need his focus. Yeah. Right? So. And he might be fed up. Like, right? He's, this is. This is not a skill set. This is not a skill no, set. Not this a skill can't set. be fun. Um, and this gives him a way to quit and, and you know, call yeah. it democracy. Now, you know? I do think, um, I do think some of his knee-jerk reactions, let's talk about some of those policies, yeah. have, have maybe tarnished his brand a little bit. I agree. Right? Yeah. Like, the, the most notable one was he banned a lot of journalists. Um, he, first, he banned the account Elon Jet. Right. Which Elon Jet is still available on Instagram. Very fun account to check out. It just tracks his jet and where yeah. it's going. That's public information. Yeah. You know, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but he, you know, felt that that was doxing his location. Yes. That's that's a reasonable fear. It is a reasonable that's fear. That's a reasonable yeah. fear. And then journalists started getting in, involved, correct? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. So, essentially there was a bit of a Barbra Streisand effect, which um, is a term that's kind of known in, in social media and internet culture, which is if you try and remove a piece of content, it's only going to make it go more viral because you know people will repost it, they will talk about the fact that you've removed it, and it'll have the opposite of what your intention was. It'll have the opposite effect. So by banning Elon Jet because he you know, reasonably feared for his safety and the safety of his two-year-old son, um, you know, created a, a, a situation where a lot of journalists were then tweeting about Elon Jet and thereby indirectly doxing his Got location. It. Yeah. And to a degree, they were kind of trolling him, right? They were trolling him to bait him to also suspend him. That was going on as well. Yeah. And Elon being Elon, he did. And it created a huge backlash. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's so interesting and to bring back the Twitter files you mentioned earlier is this is the opposite of how all social media companies have typically done policy work, right? It is an extremely deliberative process that you've seen in the Twitter files, whether you agree with the end result or not, you can see them trying to work through these things. It is about taking a scalpel approach rather than a sledgehammer, right? What is the little bit of stuff we want to remove to keep the platform safe while allowing all kinds of content that don't violate or, or you know, isn't, isn't bad, right? Um, how, do we, how do we craft language so that we can just remove that one bad thing and then scale it across hundreds of content moderators so that they will always make the same decision every time? And when it's somebody of high you know, profile or it's an edge case, that gets escalated up. And a group of um, you know experienced individuals can make a decision together on what what the right thing to do is here. That's how all social media platforms work on policy. Hmm. The way Elon's been doing it is something annoys me, <laughs> <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Even if it's reasonable. Um, Basically, he's got gripes. He's got gripes. <laughs> he's got the man's gripes. got gripes, and he has the power to shake them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what it comes down That's to. That's what it comes down uh, to. But, uh, but, and then he rolls it out and then deals with edge cases as they come up and, you know, in both cases has essentially kind of reversed his policy. So um, That's the interesting thing about him. He's like, he's, policy is all iterative to him. Yes. Right. You know, and I think it's, we've never experienced that 
where yeah. in business, sometimes that happens, right? But like, even in our company, sometimes Colin and I will set something, right? Hey, we want to, we want to make this type of content now. Now we're going to work in this direction. And as you start going into it and it's kind of not working, you have to then sit and be like, there's an impact to me reversing this to yeah. the team. Right. Yeah. They lose a little bit of, you know, unless you set the foundation early on of like, you know, what we say a lot is like, that is the culture here. We're going to try things and we're going to adjust them as we go. And that's how this is going to work. And we're yeah. like, we, we described our company as a constant search. We're always in search of where our passion and where our process match. Yeah. And that's going to change potentially on a daily basis. Now that's a hard thing for a lot of people to latch onto. And what mm. Elon's doing is kind of that similar thing. He's like, I got ideas, I'm going to test them. And then I might, they might not work. Yeah. And that's an engineering mindset. Totally. And he's an engineer. Absolutely. Right. It's an yeah. engineering mindset. Like we had Mark Rober on this show. He describes that. If you haven't listened to that interview, definitely go back and listen to that interview. I think it's like a fascinating look into an engineer's mindset of like, what if I move this thing? Ooh, that didn't work. Now I'll, I'll replace it with this, you know? Yeah. And he's operating Twitter in that way of what if I do this? Ooh, people reacted like that. Okay. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me try this, you know? And yeah, it was, there's a, uh, an old quote from early Facebook days that was move fast and break mm -hmm. things. Right. Um, and they changed it. I don't remember what it is now, but I, it was almost specifically for policy reasons is that's not a way to run a community and yeah. to create policy. You yeah. can't move fast and break things because it's got huge residual, uh, you know, results and, and issues. And I, you know, a lot of this ties back to, um, which we didn't mention earlier about the Twitter files, like 2016, I don't think it can be understated just how important that election all of the backlash against social media platforms about Russian disinformation um, and allowing misinformation to spread and allowing hackers to get data on users, what impact that had on social media companies at the time. And everything that happened in 2020 was essentially a reaction to 2016, yeah. right? How do we prevent that from happening again? We work with the FBI more closely, right? We monitor information that's being spread. We uh, decelerate the, um, you know, spread of misinformation by using signals like abuse, spam, hate speech. Um, you mark accounts manually and that's how we got to 2020. And I, and now we're having a reckoning with how we dealt with 2020, which, you know, it just portends to what are we going to do in 2024? Like we're, it's like a, you know what I mean? It's, it's like a, um, uh, seesaw, right? Where are we going to find equilibrium here and, and find the right balance of protecting people from misinformation, but also not overstepping on uh, free speech, which I think it's clear, even if you're on the left, we probably happened, right? The Hunter yeah. Biden laptop story shouldn't have been removed. People forget when Donald Trump was removed from Twitter, um, there's obviously a lot of people who celebrated it clearly internally at Twitter, a lot of people celebrated it. Most heads of states uh, expressed a lot of concern about it. Yeah. Even people who opposed Trump throughout his whole presidency, Merkel in Germany, uh, Macron in France, uh, Boris Johnson in, in the UK, they all talked about how this is, uh, you know, it's it's not right and, and it brings into question Twitter's role in democracy. And... Uh, you know, for a lot of people, we kind of forgot that that, that was a controversial decision and, and probably deserved more uh, more input from people, not just in Twitter, but across the political spectrum. But what's challenging is like these platforms didn't set out to have global political impact. Right. Like, I don't think Jack Dorsey set out to do that. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, nor, did, nor did Facebook when, you know, there was the, the, the election got you know, was influenced by advertising that. And I think that was the 20, 20 election. No, tw no, what? 2016, 2016 election. Yeah. 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 Um, through Facebook. So like, I think, um, these platforms set out to be like entertainment. Like what was Twitter when it first started an audio platform to share like essentially voice memos? It, it was, it was, it was called audio when it started. That's right. Yeah. That yeah. was the pre Twitter, Twitter, pre Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. And it was like, you could share voice notes of what you were doing. So like, this was like a, entertainment platform, not, you know, and, yeah. and I think what it's caught between is being a for-profit company 
and a public good or a public, public utility, utility right? yeah. is caught in between that. And so I think that's where probably it struggles substantially. Yeah, it's a reckoning, yeah. right, as mm-hmm. to their power within the world. And, yeah. and um, also what's possible as a bit, it is a business. It operates exactly. as a business, it's a, but it's a business, you know, these are businesses unlike any other that we have. And um, we're still I, coming to terms with it. In 2024, sure. I promise you, I'm going to bring all these questions back up. Yeah. Uh, until we in, until we change the way these companies are run in the way we do content moderation to yeah. take an input from honestly, um, it, it might require regulation, might require people from both sides of the aisle being part of these decisions and yeah. crafting policy together. Policy should, you know, people who have experience in creating policy are ultimately pol- public policy makers, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are, and they'll tell you that it's boring work, right? It's not exciting work. Yeah. But there's a reason why, you know, you spend 20, 30, 40 years doing it on Capitol Hill. Whereas at Twitter, typically we've had people with five years experience and, you know, 10 years experience who joined Twitter right out of college and they just know Twitter really well. And they're the ones making huge policy decisions. And I think we just, it's something we need to rethink. So now let's talk about some policy that impacted how a lot of, you know, people who are listening to this and creators um, utilize Twitter. Yeah, uh, that came and went, which was the link outs, uh, promotion of other social platforms. So essentially, uh, you know, the policy was that you could not promote, you know, external platforms such yeah. as uh, more specific actually was Instagram Mastodon. I don't even know what that Mastodon, is. Mastodon, yeah, it's the Twitter competitor. We'll say interesting. It's uh, yeah, it's a much harder to use, harder to join Twitter. Uh, but a lot of journalists are using it now. It's, uh, you know, it's like, if I get banned on Twitter, follow me on Mastodon. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it, the prohibited, prohibited platforms were Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, Truth Social, Tribal, Post, and Noster. I don't even know what those are. Yeah. But the thing that was even more interesting was the third-party social media link aggregators such as Linktree. Yeah, that was obvious, obviously a huge mistake. Right. Huge mistake, but like if that held massive hit to yeah. Linktree's business and yeah. Kajabi and all these link and bio tools. Yeah. I think, you know, this now basically Elon said, should I step down as the head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. Mr. Beast, who is a Elon fan. Mm. I've been to Jimmy's compound, right? He's got Steve Jobs and Elon Musk on the wall. Those are his, like he, he, he he's an Elon fan. He said, if you're going to keep doing stuff like this, then yes, with a puke emoji and uh, a screenshot of the, the policy. Um, so examples were like, you know, if you tweet, follow me, like if I tweeted, follow me at Samir Chaudhry on Instagram, violation of policy. Yeah. Right. Uh, check out my profile on Facebook, violation of policy, a link in your bio, violation of policy. That is extremely anti-creator. Yeah. But it brings to light a very important thing that I think creators need to recognize. This could happen on any platform at Mm. any time. Yep. It's always kind of shocked me that the Lincoln bio products have been able to raise so much money because of this. What if every platform goes, hey, actually, we have our own aggregator now. You can't use Linktree. Yeah. That's like, it's, I mean, this has been reversed, so this is no longer a part of there. And that was under 24 hours. Right. Yeah. This came, people got pissed, gone. Yeah. It's clearly impulsive. I think he was getting annoyed that journalists were saying, follow me on Mastodon specifically. I think a lot of people are rightfully pointing out um, that there was a couple platforms missing from that, as you mentioned to me earlier, YouTube YouTube and TikTok. And TikTok TikTok in particular uh, with, you know, obviously it's relationship with the Chinese government um, and Elon's business interests in China. That's something a lot of people have been pressing on, Um, uh, you know, both his stance on the protests that are going on in China right now, but also, you know, why was TikTok left out here and kind of trying to press him on that issue? Um, Anyways, again, it just speaks to how impulsive some of these decisions are. Like he can... uh, you understand the reasoning, like there's other platforms growth hacking on Twitter, right? That is what they are doing. Essentially, mm-hmm. Mastodon gained, sure. I think, more than half of its user base since Elon took over Twitter. Yeah. So 
they are a competitor. Why should they be allowed to grow on the back of Twitter when they're trying to compete directly? You understand where he's coming from. Other companies do it in other ways, right? Like, or or here's a great example of of how companies have done it before. Um, Twitter, uh, when uh, it kind of was on the other side of this, when Instagram was acquired by Facebook, um, they stopped allowing through the API Instagram photos to be displayed on, on tweets, Twitter. right? Yeah, you yeah. had to click through to Instagram. Yeah, yeah. They create that, friction. Yeah. They create the friction, right? Yeah. Which has the same effect, but without having to ban speech, sure. right? And that is the clever scalpel the, approach way to deal with these kinds of totally. issues. The other and, way is YouTube shorts. So this is yeah. a this is a serious thing for every creator listening to this. If you're making content across TikTok Reels and YouTube Shorts, and you make the content on TikTok and you download it as the TikTok watermark and you post it on Shorts or Instagram, it, yeah. it should be fairly obvious that they they have a way to see that and they don't want to promote TikTok the TikTok watermark on their platform. So yeah. like if you're making YouTube Shorts and you, you're creating the content on TikTok upload it natively with no watermarks on it. Like do, don't have it reek of, I made this on another platform for another platform. Yeah. Uh, because obviously it's not in their best interest. Yeah. And, uh, I, and there are, I think there are apps that can maybe remove the yeah. watermark now, but it, I think to your point, they may even have, you know, technology that can detect that, right? That the watermark easily been removed. So if yeah. you want the distribution, you probably should use the native creator. Yeah. This was the tweet. So Taylor Lorenz uh, got banned uh, from from Twitter over the weekend, this was the tweet that got her banned. It was the follow me stuff, right? It said, keep in touch. And she listed Instagram, YouTube, Substack, TikTok, Mastodon, Tumblr, and Post, all of her accounts on these um, platforms. And that got her banned. Yeah. Which, 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 is, which seems crazy to me in that like the policy wouldn't just be like the post gets taken down. Right. Like you're yeah. fully banned. Fully like you cannot banned. tweet. <laughs> like, and, and also- It's an aggressive policy. She had posted this prior to the policy being changed, right? So yeah. to then take action on the account without letting accounts change, totally. you know, or to, to be, um, you know, in compliance, it's just, it's just not a way to run policy. It's just not. And, right. you know, I, he clearly has, him and Taylor Lorenz have obviously some- um, yeah, animosity sure, there, sure, right? Yeah. In both directions. So this probably had less to do with the tweet and more to do with their history. Yeah, it's like very personal. Yes. It's very personal. It's like he's taking personal. a lot of this stuff personally, um, which he can do because it's private. Yeah. Like he has every, he can do whatever he wants, yeah. uh, which is crazy. So now the last, you know, piece of this, so obviously the doxing policy was another one that, that came up, like the concept of hate speech. Um, now it comes down to us talking about this poll he ran, like, he is going to, you know, abide by this poll. And yeah. I think, again, I think he had every plans to step down. Yeah. Um, but there was a tweet that surfaced that, that I shared with you and that we talked about, um, let me pull it up, about Twitter needing to be more uh, creator focused. So, okay. So this uh, is the tweet. It says, Twitter's big problem as I see it is it's, it's not profitable for what it currently offers. It needs to be a platform for content creators, video and writing. Mm, yeah. Elon Musk replied, true. So he's been pretty outspoken about the platform being more creator focused, but like majority of the policies he's created are, uh, especially the one about linking out to other aggregators are, are a little bit anti-creator in, in the sense of what our expectations have become as creators, which is actually our expectations are like, we can build audiences on any of these platforms and monetize in whatever way we want, even yeah. if the platform doesn't share in that revenue. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Which is, I think, kind of a premise that we should all be aware is imbalanced. Yes. Or, or, or we don't know if it is balanced or not. Like, I don't know if, you know, YouTube makes money off of the AdSense revenue on our, on our channel. Right. YouTube makes $0 off of our merchandise, off of the newsletter that we promote through the YouTube channel, and off of all the brand deals we do, which make up the majority of our revenue. Yeah. YouTube takes no percentage of that. Yeah. Are they just accepting that they make enough money because I'm creating enough video that they're not going to mess with me, that that makes me happy, that helps me create a well-rounded business, and yeah. that's what YouTube stands for? From my conversations with them, it seems like yes. Yes. But- if at any point that balance 
you know, if, if they're, they're feeling like they're not getting enough on the AdSense side, they, it's, it's possible, right? Yeah. That there could be a policy that's like, I mean, how easy would it be for them to scrape FTC guidelines of you saying hashtag sponsored or, or ad or this video is sponsored by, right. you know, they're yeah. automatically transcribing all of your videos into captions. They can read when you're saying that and automatically charge you a fee or block it or, yeah. you know, easily. Oh yeah. If they wanted to do something about this, we all know they could. They I could. think right now, yeah. we talked about this a bit last time, there's a symbiotic relationship, right? right. They're happy that you guys are successful because it means you're creating more and creating a bigger audience that are more engaged, which means they can sell more ads and AdSense and charge a higher right. CPM. And it's a good symbiotic relationship, but all companies at some point reach a point of saturation where they need to find new ways to grow revenue. And I don't think it's anytime soon, but there might be a point in time for YouTube or for Facebook where, you know, that's a way to capture more revenue is yep. to start taking it from creators or incentivizing them to use, um, uh, you know, to go through YouTube to negotiate brand deals or, or something of that sort, right? So now the question becomes, on the Twitter side, Twitter has never had a symbiotic relationship with content creators. Right. What And we talked about this last time too. What is a content creator on Twitter versus, yeah. uh, you know, he's the way he responded to this tweet is creators are uh, long-form writers and video creators, but Twitter creators are actually more journalists, right? And mm -hmm. short form. Um, so it might be more of like a, it's, I mean, it's, they launched a newsletter platform called review. It did not go well. It's, got, it's getting shut down, right? It does feel yeah. more of like, is it the independent journalist platform? Cause like from a video creator perspective, for me, it's the incentive of the user that I'm concerned about because Twitter content, the expectation, like you can read or consume a tweet in 10 seconds. Yeah. So that is your expectation when you open the Twitter app. I get a ton of content in 60 seconds. I can probably, you know, enjoy maybe 15 pieces of content in, in 60 seconds. Yeah. That context does not exist really in, in video, um, except for now TikTok and, and shorts are training us to watch shorter and shorter amounts of video and like to hook someone, you know, like someone's making a decision in like, I think one second uh, when it comes to video. So we have to now cut in a way that's like capturing someone's attention in a very short amount of time. Is that the type of video they're talking about on Twitter? Or is yeah. it like long form video? And when you're talking about writing, is it like, are you rewarded to write like a killer one liner because that's driving a ton of attention and retweets or long form pieces like notes, like notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels like for, for Twitter to be focused on content creators in video and writing, it needs a complete redesign mm, yeah. and a new expectation from the audience. You know what it is, you know, what's the, the, where they should go is, 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 uh, bringing by. Like if they are serious yeah. about video being a huge part of the platform and content creators being a huge part and they want to take the the fight straight to TikTok, um, which, you know, is having regulatory issues here in the States. I think it was just banned from all yeah. government officials' phones, which uh, is yeah, a just, lot of people. A, it's a lot of people. And that also sends a signal. It sends a serious sends signal. A signal. And yeah. I think a lot of people in the States would want to support, a especially US. on the right, a U.S company um that is yeah competing with with tiktok and maybe you can do all the same stuff I, they've got a huge uphill battle uh and it's going to be a very expensive battle but if and they are much, serious that would be the way to go how much financial pressure does elon want to take on this that is because he, he already question. took a loan to, to buy this right he is yeah he took he's bleeding money he every is, day so there's i think 13 billion dollars of debt on the company on the company and then another 12 and a half billion dollars that he took out as a loan against his tesla stock right it's and that was before interest rates went up right right and so in interest he's paying in the millions every day yeah I, yeah right i mean it's i'm not it's, a math guy yeah 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 but I he's paying that, a lot of money in interest every day i think so, so do you now use some of that money to spin up a video but like re, you know, reignite Vine, a video platform, like right? Do you debt fight? Do you take out more debt? Yeah. Can you, can right. you even can take you out even, more debt? Because is Twitter even worth more than the thirteen billion dollars that is on the company right now? It's yeah. kind of unclear, right? Um, I yeah. It, again, I think he just he really did buy it at the perfectly wrong time because if he had bought this, you know, the stock would be down to probably 
between 15, $20 billion market cap now, right. just based on market trends. Sure. And if he had bought it then, you know, he would have a lot more money to play with now and to potentially invest in something like Vine. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, how do you make this more creator focused? I have no idea. Like, I, don't, I don't feel as a creator, like I don't, I don't know. We're kind of, we kind of have our platforms now. Right. And yeah. maybe I'm like stuck in my old ways, but like, well, I've, I don't know how much, like where's my, my focus is going to be on where I can have the highest impact. Right. And like yeah. for what we do and, and maybe we're different because we're not as consumer focused at scale. We're very niche when it comes to our audience and we are very B2B when it comes to our business. Like we're working with businesses, right? Yeah. It's also why LinkedIn has been such a good partner for us because that platform for us has the exact audience we want to connect with. Mm -hmm. And I can have significant impact when I invest in that platform. Um, you look at like TikTok, it's also like, that's where the audience is. Anytime we've put our efforts into there, we see huge results. Uh, yeah. But monetization sucks on TikTok unless mm. you're doing brand deals. Right. There's no money. People, someone posted the other day, they got 7.5 million views um, and got paid like $35 on TikTok. And it's <laughs> like, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's subjective to what type of content you're making, but yeah, just, I mean, CPMs way YouTube CPMs. just dominates in platform payments. Yeah. Dominates. Uh, you know, Facebook has done a decent job at that, but they seem kind of like wavering. And so it's, it's kind of hard when, when this stuff is no longer a, a side hustle. Yeah. When social media is no longer a side hustle and it's people's full-time job I and mean, you're sitting in our office right now, like we pay the rent here and all the employees that sit in here through making content. Like, am I going to invest in a startup platform right now? There has to be a really compelling reason for me to take my content to a new platform Yeah, there's and a, invest resources and time into creating natively for that platform. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, the flip side of that, just to play devil's advocate is, Every time there is a new platform or a new, like there was a time you could have said that about TikTok, right? Like I don't have, I, my sure. whole business is on yeah, YouTube. I can't invest there. And I think creators are willing to take a shot on new but platforms. you know why they can. I think TikTok works well is because short, it's short form vertical video and that works across every platform right now. So you can use yeah. that content across your other platforms. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anytime we've uploaded a YouTube short, it goes on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And it could go on Instagram reels. So that's a pretty good, and it could go on LinkedIn. Yeah. And it could go on Twitter. Right. Which helps you scale across different platforms. Right. So. And, and, and the rules of those of what makes good content in short form vertical is more specific to short form vertical video than it is to each platform. Yeah. Right. It's because everyone copied the same feed. It's kind of the same thing as like Snapchat stories. Like once stories rolled out in other places, the product was actually stories, not necessarily what worked on Snapchat stories. Right. Even, I mean, again, short form vertical works on snap Yeah. right now. Like if you, if you have a partnership with them and get into that program, like you can monetize at a spotlight. substantial yeah. scale at on spotlight or even in the editorial program of like being, yeah. having a snap show. Right. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. true. I mean, that's, that's, you know, one platform trains the behavior and then uh, you can growth hack off that. It's, yeah. Instagram stories blew up because people knew how to use Snapchat stories right, and exactly. were already creating Snapchat stories. So, yeah. All right. Let's answer one question now from the subreddit uh, and then we'll wrap up here. So the question is pitching for dummies. I don't know if this has been answered before, but would love some guidance on how to pitch your channel slash brand to companies for brand partnerships. To those who have experience, what should be included in the deck? What questions need to be answered, et cetera? Thanks. First, let me just say this. We are working on a course about this right now that includes this. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. It's a great question. And we are like deep into the curriculum development of this. It'll come out in Q1 of next year. So in the beginning of the year, um, we'll probably start shooting it. But it, it, I'm saying that because if you guys have more in-depth questions about this after we answer this, would be helpful as we start developing this curriculum. Yeah. But from a guy who's spent a lot of his life working on pitches and seeing influencer pitches. I have my answer, but I'm curious about your answer. Yeah. So if you are a creator and you're pitching specifically to a brand to work with them, um, I think the two most valuable things you can put in front of them, one is your metrics, your data, right? So um, who is following you? Where are they from? What are their age range? What are they interested in? Why do they follow you? 
Um, and why does that make sense for the, why does that brand want to reach that particular audience, yeah. right? So as much data as you can give them about your audience, I think makes a lot of sense. Obviously tell them about yourself too and, and the kind of content you create. I think the other thing that I've found um, is the secret sauce to getting noticed because um, brands are working with tons of creators, um, looking at tons of creators, getting pitched by different creators. Show them your affinity for their brand, right? Mm, yeah. Create uh, organic content using their brand. Just mention them organically, kind of editorially. Um, you know, do a review of the product, whatever it takes to show you're a huge fan of what they do and their product. I think that goes a really, really long way to be, you know, an honest, authentic spokesperson for a brand rather than somebody, you know, just trying to win some marketing budget, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think the thing that I feel the most, like I, I just pulled up uh, three pages that go in every deck that we show to people. Cool. Um, so these three pages kind of reflect what you were just talking about, about like, why are we a good fit for you? Um, so I like to think about brand partnerships and like what we're doing as creators. Imagine that you essentially are building a bridge, right? So like you are with your content, building this bridge that people can cross over. Now, the only reason people cross over to see what's on the other side is if they want to see what's on the other side, right? What's on the other side of that is like community. Yeah. And so our community is a community of creators. So if you're a creator, you probably get to this bridge and you're like, oh, this seems like a cool place to hang out. Yeah. And you cross the bridge and you're over there. Now, there's a gate on the bridge and we charge a toll if a brand wants to cross the bridge, right? And so you have to kind of turn to the brand as they arrive at that bridge and they're like, why would I pay this toll to get there? Who's on the other side? That's the number one thing, right? And in order for you as a creator to in, in, increase the amount of people who are on the other side of that bridge and keep retain them there, you have to have a really clear cut value prop of why people are coming to your land. Yeah. Does this bridge thing make sense? I think it does. Okay, good. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's going to be part of the course. It's like a graphic <laughs> illustration that we're going to do. Um, all right. So the first thing is like brand overview. What is this brand? What is the yeah. Colin and Samir brand? So, um, we have a, a brief description, uh, about how we make content about creators and for creators. We talk about what we make, uh, and then we have a mission statement. Our mission statement is to educate, empower, and encourage the next generation of creators. Clean, yeah. clean mission statement. The next page breaks our audience down into four categories. So that says we speak to career creators. So that means people who generate all their income from creating aspiring creators. So people mm -hmm. who are, who know how to create, maybe have a social account, but haven't figured out how to make it their full-time income, the creator industry. So people who work in our industry, work with creators and then outsiders. So like, if you're a fan of this industry, you send our content to someone who doesn't really understand it. And then we try and make everything understandable to people who have never engaged in the creator economy. Yeah. And then we have social proof of those audience groups, right? So we have a tweet from Marquez Brownlee that says, Colin and Samir, your favorite YouTubers, favorite YouTubers. We have an aspiring creator that has 103,000 subscribers who said, my friend just introduced me to y'all's channel and wow, I'm blown away, 10 out of 10 content. Thank you for helping fellow YouTubers like myself really assess my business. That almost seems like a fake message we received because it's so spot on there. Yeah, yeah. And then creator industry, we have the CEO of YouTube, Susan Wojcicki, tweeting out one of our videos. Yeah. So like you immediately visualize who this audience is right at the top of your deck. Yeah. It's the most important thing. I actually think that sometimes too much of your metrics, if they don't ask for it, doesn't really help, um, especially if you're a niche creator. If you're a niche creator, I don't want you judging me based on if there's 10,000 people who watch my stuff. Because what I want to tell you is who those 10,000 people are first. Mm. Because then you start to understand as a brand, if you're like, wait, I want to talk to creators. How many creators, if it's a concentrated group of creators, I'm willing to pay a good rate for that as a brand, right? Yeah. Rather than a general audience. I don't want a general audience. I want a concentrated group of my customer. So I would go as a creator in your, in your pitch, spend a lot of time on who your audience is and make sure you can visualize that with like, actual screenshots. What is the audience saying? What are people talking about? Um, you know, we, we always pull social proof. Like there's a tweet here that says, I used to aspire to hot ones. Now I aspire to be on Colin and Samir. Listening to Colin and Samir is my second advanced degree. It's my water cooler chat now that I work solo. 
It's like really describe, all of a sudden you can visualize what the, the, the audience is saying about you. Yeah. So I would lead with that, right? Like if I'm pitching you, you already understand who we are mm-hmm. and you already understand there's, a, there's people talking about us. Yeah. The metrics are, are, the good thing is we have good metrics now, but when we first started, we were really small. So we had to describe who the people were, not how big, how big the audience was. Yeah. So I, would, I would lead with that. Yeah. Second thing I'm going to say is you have to be really clear about what they can buy. Don't leave this deck with just saying, all right, so what do you guys want to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, be extremely clear. Be like, we sell 60 second spots in our podcast or we sell mentions on our YouTube video and mm-hmm. they last for 60 seconds. They come in the first 25% of the video. Like be really clear about what you sell. And you can even say like, I sell them in threes. We don't want to sell just one. We want you to be a partner who works across three episodes so we can kind of tweak it and, and work together and figure that out. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Like you want to be really, you want to develop a menu. Like if you went to a restaurant and the chef came out and was like, here's, here, we make Italian food. What do you want? Yeah. You'd be like, uh, I don't know. But if he gave you three options, if he yeah. was like, we make a vegetarian pasta, a bolognese, and we make a lasagna. Now yeah. you have choice. Right. It's easier to spend. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the last piece you mentioned too is extra important. Just making them feel like, you know, if, if it's too much of a, you get this, you get this at this price. Um, you know, obviously they need to know your rates. They need yeah. to know what they're buying. They want to feel like they've got a partner, right? Agreed. Not They're not just buying something. And you have to keep in mind the person on the other side of the table is a person who has their own goals, their yeah. own KPIs. They probably live and breathe their product. So research their product, know what you're trying to sell, know what their goals yeah. are, and, and, and you know, talk to them about how you can help them achieve their goals so that they can go get a promotion and they can make more money and they can, you know what I mean? It's, 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 uh, it's a deeper partnership. It's, and that's, there's a reason people have started referring to roles as brand partnerships as opposed mm. to sales, right? Yeah, true. Uh, at, at social media companies and at, at publishers and all that. And we have that with all of our brand partners. Like, it's not like... I don't think we have any brand partners that I don't speak to their teams, you know, and like they deeply understand where we're going. We had calls with our brand partners about our mentality going into 2023 because they wanted to know about that. Right. And we wanted to know about them. We said, what's on your product roadmap? What are you trying to accomplish? And we then share what's on our content roadmap. So as you get into these, they do turn into partnerships and you should lay the foundation early on in that to actually say like, this is a partnership. Yeah. So. Agreed. Any gripes? Gripes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, we've got, um, I think we both have a couple of soccer related gripes, yeah, of right? Course. It's, it's, yeah. it's uh, world cup time or it was, and we had a great finale the other day, which kind of overshadowed some of the Elon Musk stuff for at least a few hours. Except for the fact that he was there yeah. and, and yeah. was like weirdly engaged in the game on Twitter. Like, I was like, yeah. this is so odd. Yeah. And you know, and, yeah, somebody pointed not to get back to the doxing sure. stuff, yeah. but like he was doxing himself. He was doxing himself He's in being real doxed time by everybody in the stadium in real time. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, not only am I at the world cup, I'm on this side of the stadium in this box. Yeah. Like so hyper specific to yeah. where he was at the world cup. If he had removed himself from Twitter, would that be the perfect ending to the whole story? <laughs> <laughs> or he got automatically removed from yeah. the policy? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's great. That's, that should yeah. happen. Anyways, good. gripes. Yeah. So I'll mention the penalty kicks one. Yeah. You know, what a game. You know, what a game. What a match. We got 120 minutes of just great, great, Unbelievable. Uh, great play. Uh, Mbappe, Messi going back and forth. And it it just sadly had to end with penalty kicks. And I don't, I know I'm not the first one to bring this up, but it really would be more fun if we just kept playing and every five minutes brought somebody off the field. Yeah. I, you know, people have said that to me already. My dad was mentioning that to me the other day. What if it, it by the end, by the 150th minute, it was just goalie versus goalie, sprinting mm. back and forth across mm. the field trying to score a goal. Golden Isn't goal. Isn't that a, a way more exciting? Goal. So much way more, more fun than I, penalty kicks. Yeah, I think... I think soccer needs a change. Yeah. As, Big time. And, by the way, as two Americans as who's, two, who's, two Americans who have no <laughs> connection to soccer, outside of the yeah. fact that you and I used to play a lot of FIFA. A lot of FIFA. Which I have a, a deep FIFA. craving for now. <laughs> which uh, is exactly what we're doing after this podcast. Potentially. 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 That would be amazing yeah. if we were doing that. Um, we're actually going to New Year's Eve together somewhere. I won't dox us right now, but um, 
maybe. No, we shouldn't bring. No, no. no. Somewhere you can't find us, probably. Probably. Yeah. It'd be hard to find us there. Don't try. <laughs> right? I can't wait yeah. to dox you. Okay. <laughs> right. Anyway, I agree yeah. with you. There should be a better way to decide a tie game in soccer without question. It should be penalty kicks feels like too heartbreaking. I yeah. just can't watch it. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It should be something like a golden goal or you keep pulling people off the field. I like that idea. So yeah. if you run soccer, hit us up. Or football, yeah. hit us up. Let's have a meeting. Let's, let's, re let's rebrand this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got some gripes. Okay, right. yeah. yeah. So, all uh, right, man. All right. Well, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. What a great. By the way, before we go, what a year you guys have had. Yeah, the Colin and Samir. Is this the last yeah. episode of the year? Probably not, but maybe. Yeah. Well, if it if it is, <laughs> yeah. if it is, what a year. Thank you, man. Congratulations. Not just all the business stuff, but yeah. Samir got. Well, you got married before, but you had your wedding this year. Colin got year. engaged. Yeah, what a year. You guys, I mean, we've LinkedIn grown partner. As, yeah, we've grown. You guys grown were on as, stage with P. Diddy this year. Sure. You did the- Katie Couric. Yeah. Katie Couric, yeah, the, the Mr. Beast documentary. Yeah. Uh, Project Iceman, yeah. right? Launched right. this year. Yeah. What else we got? Uh, I learned how to make a really killer cup of coffee, man. I made you yeah. one before we sat down. In, we got a cold brew keg in our a, office. In your <laughs> new in office. Our new office. So. You just dox us? Yeah, I didn't say it. Where? <laughs> We're definitely bleeping that out. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Evan. And yeah. thanks for listening. All right. See ya. Bye.